From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, all right, welcome to the broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We are live and direct for the next two hours here at TNT today's news talk uh, we have an action-packed show today uh, we're going to be welcoming some amazing guests onto the stage uh trevor fitzgibbon a former pr or he's does doing pr as well for wikileaks and many others uh, he's going to comment on the julian assange appeal he's written a great article in the intelligencer dot today uh we'll drop a link of that to our community in the tnt chat room uh later on in the second hour when we join him at the top of the second hour we're also going to be joined by mohammed akunji uh international human rights lawyer he's going to be joining us in the second hour as well to discuss the dire situation in rafa uh as israel uh prepares another ground incursion incredibly in the very place where they've been herding uh, displaced Palestinians into. It's an incredible situation. It could inflame the crisis even more and perhaps kick off a wider war. There's a lot of other human rights and humanitarian risks that are going to follow that most certainly as well, but it's ethnic cleansing by any other name, and it's happening right in front of our eyes. We'll talk to him in the second hour. It's going to be a very heady and informative conversation. You don't want to miss that interview. Uh, and also in the first hour, we'll be joined by Freddie Ponton. Uh, he is our European correspondent uh, to discuss a number of hard-hitting stories that are going to be topical in the coming weeks and months. We'll get a jump ahead, as we normally do with Freddie, to see what's happening. France is making an end run against uh, free speech, uh, which is going to be uh, Pivotal uh, coming into the winter as economic crisis is looming in Europe. We'll talk to Freddie about that. Plus, Pfizer is in the dock right now. The walls are closing in on some of these pharmaceutical companies uh, as they become more uh, exposed for the liability that they are responsible for uh, with the rollout of the toxic COVID-19 injections uh, over the last three years. And that's only the beginning. We'll talk more about what Pfizer's up to with Freddie as well. A top rate researcher is going to be joining us in a few minutes. Um, now, the, the big topic today in terms of breaking news is the appeal of Julian Assange. Where is this at right now? Uh, we are getting minute to minute updates. We'll share some of those with you as well. The latest uh, has been the exposure, and this may or may not be pivotal in the case, but uh, nonetheless, there's a lot of public pressure building on this on both sides of the Atlantic. The plot to kill or kidnap Julian Assange, this is significant. In September 21, Yahoo News had reported that CIA officials had drawn up, quote, options. We've got options. This was during the Trump administration and under the uh, auspices of Mike Pompeo. Uh, pretty clear. Everybody knows what Mike Pompeo's profile is uh, in terms of an absolute warmonger and a deep state stooge. But nonetheless, uh, plans were drawn up to possibly assassinate or kidnap uh, Assange, render him from the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Of course, the British did the extraordinary rendition eventually anyway. Uh, that was back uh, in April of 2019. Uh, but anyway, this was reported. Why is this important? Uh, because this is a game changer. Estella Assange, Julian's wife and mother of his children as well, as she intimated many times uh, that uh, media reports 
on this basically nullify any legal extradition from Britain to the United States. Because we have to remember the treaty that's drawn up between the U.S. and the U.K. is very specific about the extradition of political prisoners. Now, this plot to either kidnap or kill Assange by the United States intelligence services and who knows who else was involved, uh, how high up, certainly that would be something to stick at the feet of the White House. That would be an convenient scapegoat, wouldn't it, with Trump as president? I'm surprised the left haven't gone for that. But anyway, uh, both parties loathe Julian Assange equally, apparently, because of his challenges to U.S. hegemony exposing the war crimes in the United States and NATO. Uh, this is a game changer. It makes it political, but it's only one example. Uh, we've got a clip right now. Uh, now, as you know, TNT is providing excellent on-the-ground coverage uh, in London right now with Mike Ryan and the team uh, in front of the uh, International Courts of Justice or the High Courts of Justice in in, in London. Uh, we've got a clip right now. Uh, this is uh, Stella Assange, uh, Julian's wife, speaking to the crowd. Uh, let's cut to that clip uh, right now. How pathetic the U.S. case is. They have to rely on lies. And then the prosecutors say, don't question these lies because that would offend our ally. 14 years on, all they can do is repeat the lies from the very first Pentagon conference, press conference, talking points sheet. What they're trying to argue is that state secrets trump revealing state crimes. This is the balance they're trying to shift. They want impunity, they don't want to be uh, scrutinized, and journalism stands in the way. And in that courtroom, they are having to make their position increasingly clear. They have to admit that what they're doing is criminalizing journalism, is criminalizing the truth. They are liars, they are criminals, and they are persecuting the journalist who exposed them. Julian is a truth teller, he is a political prisoner, and the world is watching these courts and how they deal with this case. Please be here and come and march to Downing Street after uh, the proceedings are over this afternoon. Thank you. As Stella Assange, the wife of uh, Julian Assange, and uh, as as she said there, there's going to be a, a protest march uh, heading down to uh, Downing Street there uh, to put pressure on the UK government to make this uh, an important uh, story that it should be anyway, it should be top of mind for the British public, for the United States, but unfortunately it's not. Uh, and that's why we're out there. That's why people are out on the streets. That's why we're covering it here on a TNT, Today's News Talk, because this is a very important uh, precursor uh, in the battle for free speech, for liberty, not just uh, in Britain and in Europe, and but also worldwide. Uh, the long arm of U.S. justice seems to extend anywhere at once to grab anyone, any journalist, extradite them, even if they're not a U.S. citizen. Can you believe it? I can't even believe we're having this conversation. But we've been covering this story 
pretty consistently for the last five years. Uh, so it's all coming to a head uh, right now. So it'd be very interesting. Certainly, let's go to break right now, however, uh, with the network. And when we come back, we'll connect uh, with Freddie Ponton. We'll get his take on the Assange story, plus breaking news uh, in Europe on the issue of free speech. We're covering it all here on the Patrick Henningsen Show. We'll be right back. TNT's Darren Denslow. A cemetery here in the UK could be extended by 7,000 graves to cope with the rise in deaths and burials during the COVID-19 pandemic. Why we need to suddenly extend that grave now? I don't, the graveyard now, I don't know. Luton Borough Council, so plans were being finalised to expand the Vale Cemetery on Greenbelt land next to the town's existing cemetery in Stopsley. A survey in 2008 found the existing cemetery would run out of space by 2025. In fact, I could carry on going through this article and guess what? It doesn't mention COVID again. It only mentions COVID in the headline and the very first line of this story, which sends my alarm bells off uh, 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 ringing because uh, I suspect it has nothing to do with COVID, but everything to do with an increase in deaths and excess deaths since COVID. Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the program. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for joining us uh, for this live broadcast. We're still in hour number one here at the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Today's News Talk. And as you saw the clip uh, before the break we shared with you, that was uh, live uh, in front of the high courts uh, in London, where they're hearing the appeal, the final appeal, at least in the UK anyway, uh, for Julian Sanchez's extradition to the United States. Uh, joining us on the line right now, I want to bring Freddie Ponton onto the stage. Uh, Freddie, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm very good, Patrick. It's good to be here. Thank you. It's great to be with you as well, Freddie. Now, first of all, we've got a few uh, breaking stories to cover, of course. Uh, but uh, first and foremost, Freddie, I want to get your reactions, get your opinion on the case, the Assange case right now. Uh, as it's breaking in London, this is the final appeal. Uh, we're perhaps, you know, hours away or very soon, imminently, we might hear a decision uh, either later today or tomorrow. Uh, we're not sure, uh, but it's coming right down to the wire right now for Julian Assange. I just want to get your thoughts first on this, Freddy. Well, I, I'm like everybody. We are basically uh, hanging by a thread. I mean, this has been going on for so long. And I'm, you know, obviously... Uh, thinking about his uh, uh, Julian's second half, you know, which is out there and, you know, has been, uh, uh, you know, very, very loyal uh, to the cause and has been doing pretty much uh, any trick in the book to trying to get him out. So the, 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 the British government is under pressure, there's no doubt. I mean, there's an appetite out there and people would like to see some form of justice. And uh, as I was listening to your clip, rightly so, saying that this is an attack on journalism, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And we know uh, the intelligence community and the Pentagon, the defence, 
complex in the United States will go to South extent to get all of uh, uh, Julian Assange. Nothing has changed so far. So really, it's really in the hands of the, uh, the British administrations and justice systems to uh, to stand for, for, the, for the right of journalism, for human rights as well, because I think that Julian has gone and has been punished way, way uh, too much. And I think it's time for to let him go. So the idea of extraditing to, to the United States is simply not only ludicrous, it's unfathomable. It is. Uh, this is a very big precedent case, Freddie, because uh, he's not a U.S. citizen. Uh, so, you know, why on earth, how can the United States uh, extradite him for a crime uh, that he did not commit uh, in the United States? He's unconvicted as it stands uh, right now. Uh, but yet the long arm of justice of Washington uh, pretty much dictates the terms of people's uh, human rights internationally now, uh, whether they have them or not. It's really up to the whims of Washington Freddie. So from that point of view, any journalist anywhere in the world uh, could suffer the same fate if they allow this to happen to Julian Assange. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that the British has been really sending some very bizarre message, you know, over the years. And uh, we can see there's a double standard here. You know, it's I compare it to uh, to Sunak, you know, to trying to tell people that the, the British government is doing everything they can to, uh, uh, you know, to put an end to the war and to get a, a ceasefire immediately. And But on the other side, they are voting and abstaining, you know, during a vote uh, uh, resolution presented by the Algerian yesterday. So, again, we, we're getting basically to 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 ring a bell here yeah. and it's 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 saddened me to see the the british uh, government is falling so so behind and uh, are so influenced by the uh, united states policies and gains and whatever uh, they can uh, advantage they can draw from this relationship and uh, it is time really for for them to to step up and show that there is a uh, you know a certain line that shouldn't be crossed and uh, i think this one is a serious one and uh, we can just cross fingers because the dice has been thrown you know what's amazing about this the timing of this freddie is pretty incredible because uh julian assange hasn't been present physically uh in the court uh reports are at least craig murray uh who's been following this case extremely mm. closely for the longest time and a close confidant of julian assange himself he said that julian was not physically able uh to attend the court uh, because of health reasons that's what craig uh was led to believe uh, when he inquired about this uh so he's being held in a supermax prison this is where they keep uh, the hardcore terrorists the serial killers and the mass murders uh in belmarsh prison so his health is declining and this is all happening after the you know, the wake of the death of alexei navalny the uh russian uh political dissident you could call him he other people call him other things but he he dies in prison this week the timing is really incredible uh so they're they're now saying well this could never happen in a democratic country like the us or you know the uk or france uh but yet we have this case with assange is totally glaring the hypocrisy of this so who are they to basically say anything uh about what other countries are doing much less russia uh when we have this uh 13-year arbitrary detention in total, that's according to the UN, by the way, Nils Melzer, the special rapporteur on torture, uh, 13 years arbitrary detention of a journalist for his crime of exposing war crimes. Freddie, incredible. Yeah. 
it's unbelievable. I mean, just, you know, I mean, United Nations is not in a position at the moment to dictate or nor to, to lecture anybody on, on, you know, their ability and their strength, you know, to, uh, to impose uh, uh, sanctions or to actually uh, define uh, human rights. You know, when we uh, have been looking at a, a genocide unfolding for the last past four months uh, in, uh, in the Gaza Strip. So I think, you know, I think the UN on this time, on, on this this particular occasion should, you know, stay uh, way behind and let basically uh, those actually uh, that can make a difference uh, uh, within the British government trying to really uh, move forward with uh, the idea of uh, liberating Julian Assange, you know, but no one can lecture Russia or the United Nations about human rights at this moment in time. Uh, it would be ludicrous. Uh, look, it's, it, it is what it is at the end of the day. We all know where what we are standing uh, against uh, to, I mean, you know, I'm a European citizen, so I know that my countries and Europe has been uh, overtaken by the, the United States, whether it's foreign policies or uh, economic will, we under basically the, the United States hammer. And all I can wish for and hope for is that Julian is not going to pay the price for uh, this uh, very old empire, you know, empire style kind of way of uh, making an example of someone, you know, in order to intimidate the others because we won't be intimidated and they need to rest assured of that whatever happened we're going to go we're going to double down on whatever you know to expose these people because that's enough now you know these people needs to be held accountable and they have a lot to answer for so we need to to to, to stand our ground stand with julian and hopefully uh, everything will go for the best now, speaking of uh, free press and free speech, uh, we're also led to believe this week that uh, you have a crisis brewing in Europe. Uh, in, in fact, in your home country, the Macron regime, increasingly unpopular, uh, seems to be making yet another end run uh, around the constitutional rights of the French people. Uh, this seems like an affront on free speech itself. Please explain what's going on here, Freddie, because uh, we saw a lot of this during the COVID farrago uh, and with the vaccine rollout, uh, which has turned out to be a total disaster uh, for everybody involved, much less uh, the people of France to begin with. But uh, what is going on on this front right now in France? Explain. Well, it's it's very worrying at this moment in time. Uh, over the last past ten days, France has been involved in uh, uh, many discussions surrounding the uh, bill, which was uh, aimed at strengthening the fight against uh, sectarian abuses and improving support for victims. Or that is uh, what it claims on the uh, surface. But there are some. People have actually called this uh, new bill uh, the new law, the Pfizer law. So that's how just gets you an idea of what we're talking about here. I think first what we can do is perhaps many people are not even familiar with uh, the term sectarian abuses. So to define that and then move on to what this bill is offering or pretend to offer and looking at really the inconsistency and what is actually outrageous in this bill. First, uh, the sectarian abuses, Patrick, refers to the abuse of the state of weakness of a person in a state of psychological or physical subjection, which results from the exercise of repeated, basically, pressure. What they are describing by this is basically the influence that comes out uh, of gurus, of charlatans, or anyone that is in a position of influence and that can incite someone basically to abandon a treatment or refuse a treatment and even uh, entertain 
alternative uh, treatments. And that is exactly what it's about. So this bill comes down from a, you know, a multinational strategy, which has been outlined for 2023 and 2027. And it's the result of a conference on sectarian abuses, which started uh, last summer, uh, last year in 2023. Now, it's interesting because it's presented by a lady called Sabrina agresti Rubash. She's a sub-ministerial member of the French government. Uh, and uh, she's basically coined the term guru 2.0, uh, which uh, she described as the kind of the, uh, uh, the, the phenomenon uh, of influence and influencers, which the bill is pretending or claiming to combat. So this is obviously a, a major uh, step uh, in the French government and uh, uh, an instrument uh, for the legislators to basically strengthen their arsenal as far as combating basically anyone that is going to uh, basically fight or try to fight basically the uh, accepted narrative uh, within uh, the government or in what I call the uh, public-private gangsterships between the big pharma and the public sectors, which deliberately basically is willing to impose mandates, but also uh, treatments which, uh, you know, are not been proven yet to be uh, uh, efficient or that also at some stage uh, been uh, described as dangerous or harmful. And so it's an attack, as I say, on the influencers. And it's been really well described as well by uh, different entities within the government, which are responsible to review the text of this bill. And that's a very interesting thing because nobody has to believe what I'm saying. All we need is to believe what the government is saying in this particular instance. And so, Patrick, what we have here is uh, over the last past year, when this bill was uh, uh, only a text and it was submitted to the State Council of France, which is responsible to review the text of this particular bill, uh, came with uh, some conclusion that was very interesting because very quickly they saw that there was some problem with this bill. Uh, and there was really two major elements that they recommended and recognized as problematic. The first one was actually the name of the bill itself since the context and the contents of this bill is mainly referred to the actual influencers and the ability for influencers to exercise pressures via the social media network. So there's really nothing about sectarian abuses. We're not talking about charlatan that's trying to sell you uh, lemon juice <laughs> and mix with kiwi to treat sure. your cancer. <laughs> so you're not talking about you're not talking about jo Jim jo uh, Reverend Jim Jones uh, passing out the Kool Aid. At Jonestown, so the, what they're trying, uh, what it seems to me, Freddie, that they're trying to demonize what they, what they're probably going to, you know, whatever the translation is, conspiracy theorist people online that are making people skeptical of, let's say the word, can we say the word? Let's say it, vaccines, or they're yes. not even vaccines. Let's call them uh, mRNA experimental gene jabs let's just you know use another term um so they're afraid that people will find out information on the internet on social media that might kind of push them to maybe question the safety and efficacy of these experimental pharmaceutical products is that is that not what's going on here 
it's pretty much what, what it is, but it's well disguised. You know, you have to to kind of uh, admire the, uh, the the ability for these guys to use the term sectarian abuses when clearly it is about freedom of speech. And more importantly, as I said, they should have called this bill the uh, uh, Professor Didier Raoult's bill, you know, because mm. uh, uh, this is, as I say, Perhaps 25% of this bill is really about censorship and social media and trying to more like intimidate anyone which would dare kind of, you know, start to uh, uh, complain or put point of finger at the governments and their eccentricity when it goes down to treatments because of uh, their cohorts and their, uh, you know, their coercion by the, by the big farmer. So that's the one part, but it's that's only 25% really of the bill when you really dive really deep into the bill, what you realize is actually this is a bill about stopping any professor, any kind of intellectual scientist, immunologist, biologist, anyone that has actually knowledge on the topic to recommend alternative therapy. So they demonize it by calling it Guru 2.0, which is a term that was coined by this lady, uh, Sabrina Agresta-Roubache. Funny enough, she's from Marseille, exactly as same as uh, prof, uh, Professor Didier Raoult. And she also actually felt sick on March 2020. And she was treated by hydroxychloroquine by when she was a simple citizen and now she's in the government promoting a, a Guru 2.0 bill which is clearly uh, uh, going after anyone that is going to propose alternative uh, treatments which were successful which were basically very inconvenient for the government and big pharma so that's what we are looking at here and especially everything that I just say is encapsulated in an article which is article 4 and what's very important here, Patrick, is to understand that the government itself has recognized with its recommendation coming out of the state council that Article 4 is actually not acceptable simply because it is in direct opposition of Article 11 of the 1789 uh, constitution of France, which is all about protecting freedom of speech, freedom of expression. So <laughs> putting in the, t in the text, in, in this bill, a text that is completely in contradictions with Article 11 is something that they couldn't accept. So they recommended basically to chuck out this uh, Article 4 from the bill, which was successful. I mean, there was a lot of pressures coming from various bodies and independent body in France saying that this is unconstitutional. This got, this got to go away. And they managed to do that. And the bill, the Article 4 disappeared from the bill until last week, 48 hours before this bill is presented in the floor of the National Assembly, this bill suddenly is reappearing, is reemerging out of nowhere. And they are basically bringing it back, telling, well, we just put it back because we thought it needed to be there. We're just going to retweak it, rewrite it a little bit, and then eventually we'll put it into the, the final bill. And it was voted upon and it was approved after two votes in the National Assembly. So absolutely, uh, clearly a uh, shameful. Uh, everybody's 
talking about basically uh, uh, the lobbying, the big pharma lobbying, uh, government pushing for uh, this particular Article 4 to be brought back because it is essential. How can you sell a product if someone's coming with uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that are super cheap drugs against these big pharma that want to coin billions selling us something that we barely know what it is, a new platform, a new technology, and something that clearly today has left a lot of people behind with you know serious grave or minor side effects so uh, the question is really uh, uh, today is uh, what will be france uh, reaction as a whole are we going to fight this article 4 now are we going to try to remove it from the bill and the independent the sovereignists like myself will be fighting for it that you can be sure of well, first of all, it's not a platform uh, by any stretch of the imagination because mRNA tech has just not been proven to actually do anything or work. I mean, in fact, they waived all of the requirements for that through the emergency use authorization because of the emergency. Save us from the virus, from the little COVID, the spikes. We need to be safe from that. So they had to waive all of the things that would have uh, put Moderna and all these companies through their paces, trying to prove that this mRNA technology actually does anything. But they didn't have to do that, did they? Because it was such an emergency, Freddie. But you know what? You really hit the nail on the head, Freddie. The most important issue is that bill, that piece of legislation written by Pfizer and handed to the, le the corrupt legislators lobbying absolute lobbying that wouldn't exist without big pharma pushing these government stooges to implement these sort of draconian measures so that's really what we're dealing with here is this out of control lobbying and one might also ask the question freddie uh, are there american consultancy firms also basically drafting up these memos the text for these legislations on behalf of the likes of Pfizer and others. And I think you've already exposed the fact that that's more than likely the case, isn't it, in France? Well, Patrick, in, in this particular case, I think that we've hammered it so hard with regards to, you know, the interference of this consultancy firm like McKinsey's and others, which interfere with big government business, of course. Uh, but in this particular instance, they didn't have to do that because they are they had actually an inside person to bring that particular Article 4 onto the table, onto the bill. And this lady is uh, very close to uh, Macron. She's a Macron supporter. Uh, her name is Brigitte Lizot and uh, she happened to have worked for a, a pharmaceutical giant known as GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, and uh, uh, she's believed to be at the origin of the written of Article 4, if you will, and uh, uh, she brought that back onto the sectarian abuses uh, topic. Uh, uh, prohibiting basically criticizes of big pharma. So she never declared that nobody was aware that she was a, a former GSK employee. So it's really interesting to see that that lady using her position and perhaps, you know, as an insider bringing that bill, which, you know, obviously works in favor of big pharma. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You got to call this stuff out as it's happening, Freddie. But I'm uh, I'm worried, you know, for you, Freddie, that uh, someone might accuse you of being a guru uh, 2.0 there, uh, especially uh, you're living as you're in the <laughs> same neighborhood as you got to be in the careful beard and you, you know you're around the corner from didier dr didier raul uh so it just doesn't it, it all adds up sounds like trouble Freddie. really uh guru yeah. 2.0 
Freddie yeah, Ponton. Definitely. He's my neighbor, you know. So as I say, whether it's the simple Joe like myself, independent journalist that trying to make some noise and we get punished for it. You know, during the COVID, I was taken down on several occasions. The thing is, I managed to find out who actually was asking for me to be taken down. Once was the German government, the, uh, another time was the Norwegian government. So I know governments were uh, pretty active. And then during my investigation on the NATO and uh, their involvement with the uh, vaccination rollout, in Europe, I got uh, hammered a couple of times. So I, I've, I've, I've gone through that. I've got the T-shirt, uh, let, let's put it that way. But uh, my, my concern is that now, if this is going to affect, intimidate scientists, expert doctors, you know, those that are actually have scientific knowledge that should be basically taking into consideration in a democracy you know, or so-called democracy where there's a freedom of speech, where knowledge expertise can be shared across the board so that we have access to the best treatments, you know, based on the best expertise. And that has to be uh, a political. It has to be really bipartisan. It has not to be political at all. It's about science. It's about actually opening the debate. This is what science is all about. It's about aligning the debate, the confrontation, and even the disagreement so that we can better ourselves. We can better the treatment, the technology in order to serve humanity. And if you don't let this discourse take place, then in of course, you're refusing uh, uh, half, basically, of the knowledge that is available to you. And it's also basically destroying the trust, the confidence that the public has put into our institutions. Well put, Freddie, because at, at, at the end of the day, we just want a fairer, more just, more uh, more effective and more common sense government. That's what people are asking for, Freddie. That's all we've been asking for uh, from the beginning of all of these various crises. So it's not as if we don't have an objective and some light at the end of the road on this. But uh, it seems like there's a lot of resistance against that, uh, especially at the elite uh, echelons of a government. I'm with Freddie Ponton in the independent journalist based in France. We're covering very important key stories right now this week. However, let's take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk. When we come back, uh, more on uh, Macron. I want to talk about that with Freddie, uh, a news story that's crept up, uh, how that uh, relates to, let's just say, the situation in Gaza and a whole lot more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stick around. We'll be right back. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I want you to consider this about the Trump verdict and the climate change agenda. In a nutshell, someone who had to jump through hoops to get financing, think about what you have to do to just get financing for your house, who made astronomical amounts of money for those people that loaned him the money, created jobs, created actual entities that benefited society, has been found guilty of fraud by people who never created a thing in their lives, so they try to bankrupt him. And the fact that this is okay with a large segment of the population, whether you love or hate Donald Trump, is a sign, unless this stops, the United States is finished. It's the Michael Mann verdict on steroids. Complete disregard for the facts. It stinks to high heaven, which I can't believe the people who are doing this believe in by their actions. What does this have to do with the climate change agenda? Should be a warning shot to anyone refusing to play ball. JP Morgan is waking up. They've pulled out a $63 trillion Climate 100 organization, which are a bunch of major financial entities that are all in for using climate to reshape the new world order. Well, I have news for JP Morgan. If others wake up and start leaving, you're going to find you're in the Hotel California finance with this. You can check out anytime you want. 
but you can never leave. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. We all know what it's like to feel alone. But it just takes one new connection. Wanna get out of here? To empower many. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take a superhero to bring forces together. We all have the power to reach out. Let's go! And help someone feel like they belong. Pretty cool, huh? We are stronger together. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You're listening to TNT. Today's News Talk and watching TNT. Today's News Talk live and direct right now. And uh, we're talking with international journalist uh, Freddie Ponton on the line right now. Freddie, and uh, obviously the issue of free speech, which we've covered uh, in the previous segment, especially as relates to the imposition of forced medical treatments or coerced medical treatments by the state. Yes, that happened, folks. Uh, if, if you if you if you missed that one, uh, you must have been on another planet uh, over the last three and a half years. Uh, but the the Emmanuel Macron has also come into the news again. This is an interesting story, Freddie, and I think I've flagged this because it does have a direct relation to the genocide uh, in Gaza right now, as the Israelis continue to move uh, on Rafa right now. Incredible situation. I'll probably get your comment on that, but uh, it's kind of a controversy. Uh, France honors foreign resistance fighters as World War II hero uh, Manoshian is inducted into the Pantheon, this World War II war hero pantheon here uh so somewhat controversial this is over a d-day commemoration ceremony here but i think it's interesting this issue of how do you define a resistance fighter well certainly we know from history resisting the nazi occupation is something that we lionize in fact we erect monuments to such things still today we maintain those monuments in perpetuity uh, because those resistance fighters were freedom fighters in fact but they were regarded by the nazi occupiers in vichy france as terrorists we'll get to that conversation in a moment freddie but what do you think about this uh, latest story well yeah Minushan was a poet you know from uh, from armenia so it's interesting choice of country as well and he found refuge in, in france he was executed in 1944 by the the nazi regime but uh, this is someone that basically incarnates if you will the the real uh, the very fundamental principle of what it is to be uh, a resistance uh, what it is to be someone that defends uh, uh it's uh, not only his country but what it this country stands for, which is freedom, liberties, and the right of self-determination. So for me, when I see uh, Macron getting involved in this, he's uh, obviously surfing a very thin line here. But I think his messaging is signaling clearly that, uh, uh, you know, fighting against uh, oppressive regime is not a small business. And uh, often people pay with their lives. And I think he's going to basically elevate the memory of uh, uh, this person uh, in, in order for, for him to be uh, uh, written in the history 
uh, of, of France as part of history. France, you know, France has had a long relationship with the Armenian. We've always been defending the, uh, uh, the Armenians and been very close to them. There's many Armenian people in France. Uh, so this is a, a topic and the topic of genocide is something that France has been familiar, you know, has some kind of a, a, that are familiar with, if you will. Uh, and of course, everyone today in France is on the same page. Doesn't matter which uh, side of the political spectrum in today. I think it's quite clear the message from front at the moment is that we want a ceasefire. I think the French president has been clear now for more than three weeks that uh, he has always uh, go went along with resolution. The last one with Algeria at the United Nations Security Council. Uh, the French uh, uh, ambassador to the UN also uh, went along with the uh, the resolution uh, uh, to, to ask for a permanent ceasefire. So I think uh, this is great to see that at least we see France where they need to be which is on the side of human rights on the side of mm. international law uh, and uh, I think uh, this is just an extension of, of France showing a little bit the finger uh, at, at the United States and also historically uh, marking some points so all good and it's a quote here from the uh, French president's office here, uh, Misak uh, Mnouchian uh, chose France twice. First, as a young Armenian who loved uh, Baudelaire and Victor Hugo, and then through the blood he shed for our country, said the office of the French president Emmanuel Macron in a statement uh, last year surrounding the Pantheon homage. But this gets back to that issue, isn't it, Freddie? We look back historically here, clearly these are free freedom fighters resisting an illegal occupation, the case of the Nazis resisting a genocide, because who knows how far they would have gone if they were allowed to have free reign over the rest of Europe. Uh, and so they regard them as heroes. They regard them as liberators, as resistance, legal resistance, rightful resistance. But that's not the case with the illegal Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories, which is internationally recognized as an illegal occupation. But the resistance fighters in Palestine are regarded as terrorists in the very same way the Nazis regarded the French resistance as terrorists have i got anything wrong in my history here freddie no, not at all. I mean, you know, you know me well enough to know that my family were resistance. You know, so it's uh, it's for us. Uh, you know, I grew up around people that that were prisoner of war. You know, that 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 have been fighting the Nazi regime, my uncles and so on. So they we we you know we're more than patriotic. As I say, we're sovereignists. You know, you come to our country, we're gonna fight you. There's no doubt about it. Doesn't matter. We lose, we die. It's irrelevant. What matters is that we're gonna stand. You know, to protect our land, to protect our values, and uh, to protect our women's and childrens. And I think that uh, by saying these words, I think uh, we can uh, transpose this word to what the Hamas is doing. And we see more and more people looking at Hamas as a, you know, as a basically uh, a, an organization that is just trying to. Uh, to fight back so that they can get their land back, they can get their territories back and their dignities back. You know, I think they've suffered long enough. They went through 56 years of occupation, completely illegal settlements. I mean, we saw and we have, everything is written, we have enough, you know, over 100 United Nations resolutions that describe how illegal the settlements and the occupation is. We don't need more uh, uh, 
a legal instrument to demonstrate, you know, that the siege on Gaza was already as a genocide as uh, Ocampo, uh, former ICC chief prosecutor, described. So we have the evidence to die. It's not a matter of, you know, the, the lack of proof or evidence that a, not only a genocide is being committed as we speak, but that this has been going on and tolerated only simply because the United States, unfortunately, has provided uh, Israel with a shield, a shield to international law, a shield to uh, basically accountability. And one person that I was listening to, I forgot his name, but he, he actually made a very interesting statement uh, referring to one of the articles of the United Nations Charter, which really uh, uh, expose any states which acting against or trying to go and uh, undermine international law and the UN charters uh, will subject itself to be removed from the United Nations by the rest of the United uh, Nations General Assembly. So there is a, a possibility here because we're seeing a lot of consensus amongst the member of the United States, uh, the United Nations, and we can see that everyone is, you know, uh, uh, in accord to, to get a, a a permanent ceasefire right now. So if the UNGA is uh, absolutely in agreement with that, nothing's stopping them for now looking at Israel, which I think has a, a resume that speaks for itself as far as, you know, uh, working and acting in direct contravention of the UN resolution and the United States that is providing the shield and that is still refusing basically uh, to agree uh, on an obvious you know, a genocide and an obvious uh, a need for an immediate ceasefire. No truce, no temporary, just a permanent ceasefire because diplomacy has failed. And to resume diplomacy, you need ceasefire. And to apply, of course, the ICJ uh, provisional measures, which was ordered by the ICJ court, you also need a ceasefire. I mean, things are pretty clear. And I think that uh, the latest resort for the UNGA is to maybe perhaps starting to show that the, the United States is not above the law. Well, we're going to have international human rights lawyer Mohammed Akunji uh, on the program in the next hour. I'm looking forward to that discussion. You know, like the the provisional ruling, as you said, from the International Courts of Justice, that uh, it is the plausible case of genocide is in fact happening uh right now as we speak uh in in gaza uh but also beyond as well but uh in gaza specifically and that said uh israel hasn't uh pulled back uh they haven't uh scaled down their operations freddie quite the contrary they seem to be ramping up uh for another push in rafa you have all these vulnerable people hundreds of thousands of displaced uh Palestinians, uh, they're getting ready to be pushed into the Sinai Desert by force, by Israel. What do you make of this situation? Well, it's very interesting in terms of uh, uh, looking at what Israel uh, army is doing at the moment. And uh, we, we, we saw that a few days ago that the engineering corp of the IDF is actually building uh, a buffer zone just south of Han Yunis to split basically the Gaza Strip in half. Uh, and to isolate completely the people 
pulling in the north, uh, uh, part of the Gaza Strip. So that feel that the aid that's been uh, humanitarian aid, health support, anything, nothing is going to make it uh, into the uh, nor uh, the, the the northern part of the Gaza Strip. And that's sending a very strange message to me because we know that Israel has basically confirms, you know, and is boosted about the fact that they were in complete control of the uh, northern uh, part of uh, Gaza City and the Gaza Strip. So this is where uh, uh, supposedly Hamas had is the strongest uh, uh, headquarter, you know, in hospitals, and that there was the stronghold of Hamas was uh, basically uh, the northern part of the Gaza Strip. So why building a buffer zone, a complete road that has been built and will basically be a tarmac road very soon? Uh, to split the 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 the, the 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 Gaza Strip in half, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And the only thing, and the only way I can explain to that is that they do not control the northern part of Gaza. They've lied about that, and they're worried that if they're going to attack, basically uh, Rafa and Khan Yunis, and continue this uh, complete operation and bombardments and ground operation in this particular southern part of the Gaza Strip they might get flanked or they might get attacked, you know, uh, behind them because still a lot of Hamas people are actually still in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. And they will be basically be able to attack the IDF by the back. So to avoid that, they need to create a buffer to protect their back or to be flanked. So that's what I, I look at it from a, a strategic military point of view because nothing is making sense uh, or, or otherwise. And then the rest, of course, is, as you said, uh, the Philadelphia Accord allowing basically Israel and obviously Egypt to have a, a, a control over the uh, the Rafa border crossing, which uh, uh, of course is uh, in the hands uh, of of uh, some uh, very dodgy characters. Uh, I've mentioned that about it, and there was some great uh, article written about it, uh, about the uh, Argamani uh, Peninsula, you know, this uh, unbelievable guy that seems to be operating and controlling the entire Sinai, and uh, his company is being contracted by the, uh, you know, we don't know really, you know, Egyptian government, maybe some British, we don't know, but they are building basically a logistic hub, massive walls have been erected in order to enclose uh, to enclose what, if not basically the Palestinians that the Israeli is trying to chuck out of the Gaza Strip. So these are very, very dangerous, very sensitive time and uh, people are watching and I'm worried that if one move on the Rafa border killed and start to kill civilians, which will basically press upon the gates and the gates will eventually be open. Uh, we will see a, a, a large uh, exodus, if you will, of the Palestinian population into this hub. So the only reason why they've not attacked on, in, in mass, if you will, with really strong uh, military presence within Rafa, it's simply because this logistic hub or this new prison uh, has not been finished yet. So uh, I think they're just buying a little bit of time. But back Ramadan, as they said, they might be in a position to do that. Uh, that would just be so inflammatory. You and I both know the message that sends to attack during Ramadan. Uh, it's literally they're going to be throwing a match into a giant 
uh, oil refinery. Uh, that's the equivalent. Benny Gantz was gloating and uh, saying that they're going to do this just on television the last 24 hours. Uh, so you know, anybody who thinks Benny Gantz is some sort of a dove or some sort of a moderate version of Netanyahu, think again. Uh, he is just as much of a cold-blooded killer uh, as Benjamin Netanyahu and the other sort of radicals, unfortunately, that are in the ascendancy right now in the Lukid uh, government uh, in in Tel Aviv. So we got to keep a close eye on that. Of course, Freddie, you're absolutely right. What a dire situation this is. We'll talk about that in the second hour with our next guest. We're also going to uh, be connecting with Trevor Fitzgibbons uh, in just a minute or two. Top of the hour. Freddie Ponton, thank you for joining us on TNT this week. 